Jackie Patton, and last year I founded Inkblot Creative, a brand new and very different communications and marketing agency. I love a good chat with an interesting human, so on every episode of season two, I'm going to be chatting to business leaders, creatives, and everyone in between about how they stay connected. We chat about big goals, important relationships, and holding on to a sense of purpose when things in the world aren't always in our control. I can't wait for you to join us for these conversations, so tune in every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher for the next free episode. And if you're enjoying these chats as much as we are, I'd love for you to leave us a review. This week, I'm talking to Jade Cobbershon Gray, founder of Mindset Matters UK and a social justice advocate. Jade and I actually went to school together and have recently reconnected. She's doing so many great things, both with her business and raising awareness of the Black Lives Matter movement. And I can't wait for you to hear all about it. So sit back, relax, grab a cup of tea. This is Stay Connected. So Jay, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. So obviously on every episode, I ask my guests to bring along an object that they feel really connected to. And I can see your object on the table in front of us now. So can you describe it to our listeners? I can. So this is my scarab beetle necklace. Um, and I received it as a gift from my dad about three, four years ago, maybe. Um, this was before I'd launched Mindset Matters, um, but it's become something actually along the way that I've become really connected to. It resonates for a lot of reasons for me. It's very shiny. It is very <laughs> shiny. It is. I'm always fearful of losing it, so hence it doesn't come out very often. Um, but yeah, it's beautiful. And so I love what's it. the significance of a scarab then, a scarab beetle? Um, the reason that my dad chose it is because in Egyptian mythology and culture, it represents existence, development and growth. Um, and long before I really had stirred up the idea of mindset matters, it kind of pitched itself into my own mindset and then when I started the business, that really is the journey that I've taken, but also the journey that I take people on through my business as well. So, you know, the epitome of mindset matters is really thinking about our own existence, thinking about development and thinking about growth. So it's one of those things that when I wear it, it just seems to bring me back to the essence of what I'm doing. Oh, I love stuff like that. It's great, isn't it? It's so good. And it's really pretty. <laughs> so well done, Jade Star. Thank you that. very much. Very good choice. So you said your dad... Mm gave it to you mm. so tell us a bit about your family then what was life like growing up for you uh so I was born in Jersey um my dad moved over here I think in the late 70s um from Liverpool uh, met my mum um so we me, myself and my brother were born here um and yeah it was interesting I think as a mixed race family in Jersey there weren't many of us um so it definitely made for an interesting growing up experience but I also think that it contributed a lot to the person that I am today. So, you know. And you had, so your dad's from Liverpool originally? Yes. So family in the UK. Yes. Family here. Yes. So that's like a whole thing as well, isn't it? Like staying in touch and keeping hand yes. that work? Yes. Um, so my dad has quite a big family in the UK. We probably don't keep in touch as much as we should. Um, but I feel like that's... I feel like that's every family. I feel like every family says that. Like, we should do more. We should hang out. We should catch up. And then, you know, life gets in the way. Um, but now that we have social media, that makes a huge difference. So we're in contact a lot with, like, my dad's family. Um, but really growing up here, it was it was kind of just the four of us, really. Um, it was kind of the four of us against the world, which was quite nice, actually. And it stayed like that for a really long time. We're a really close family, um, which I really appreciate. 
And because you, your brother doesn't live here anymore, does he? he lives no. Here. So he moved away to London when he was 16. So he's wow. been living in London since he was 16. Goodness. Yeah. And then you haven't been here the whole time either because you've been all I've over been the shop. I've been all over the place. Yeah. So I left at 18 to go to uni um, to do my undergraduate degree um, and then kind of flitted back, did the whole obviously I'm going to get a job in finance because, you know, it's Jersey. Um, did that for a year. Didn't felt like feel like that really resonated with me. It wasn't really the life path I see myself going down. So I moved back to London um, and started studying for my master's degree in health psychology um, and then did about... Whew, about nine to 10 years in London in health and social care. Um, so I worked in addiction and mental health and reducing reoffending and organizational well-being. Um, and then I came back to Jersey for a brief stint again. And then I moved to Brazil for a little while. <laughs> of course you did. Of course I did. Cause you know, why not? So I went to volunteer. I lived in Rocinha favela for about four months, then went to Peru and then came back to London again. And now back to Jersey. And now back to Jersey. I'm a bit of a nomad. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> but that's quite a nice little segue then. So is there anywhere that you, like, is there any place that feels kind of like home for you? Is that Jersey or is it kind of where specific Ooh. people are? Or I think it, it's, it means different things in different contexts. And I think that's one of the things that actually I've become much more aware of as I get older. I think Jersey is always home because that's where my family is. So that means a lot to me from like a familial perspective, that's home in the essence of the world, of the word. Um, London, however, feels like home because it's where I grew up. So I, I moved to London when I was 18 and I transitioned into adulthood in London. Mm. So when I think about, you know, all of the really big experiences in life that shaped me in terms of the person that I am, primarily they happen in London. So it's home too for, for a very different reason. That's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So it's like split. Yes. Bit of both. Yeah. And I always, I always ask this question just because I think it's interesting to see what people tell me. <laughs> but if you did like little Jade mm. at school, you know, little tiny Jade... Mm. Do you reckon she would have thought you'd have ended up doing the kind of work you do now? What was Little Jade like? Um, God, I feel like she was probably really precocious. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I'm not even just saying that. I feel like my parents say that a lot. Um, yeah, I was, I mean, I was pretty, see, when we were little, people would say bossy. Now we would say, I was an assertive small child. <laughs> Okay. very assertive <laughs> I knew what I liked I knew what I wanted um I don't I don't know if I would have I don't know if little Jade would have thought I would have been here I think there would have been some similarities in the journey but I had really strong ideas when I was younger about what I was going to be and it's not what I am <laughs> and what were those things what did you think you were going to be um so when I was really little, I, I clearly wanted to be extra busy all the time because I think I wanted two jobs. I think I wanted to be a librarian and a dentist. Not really sure why. Um, Good combo as well. Great combo. As I got older, the goal was to do investigative journalism. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that was the goal for a really long time. Um, and then I started taking psychology at A-level and it just took over. So everything about the study of psychology just fascinated me. Um, and so investigative journalism kind of got pushed to the side to go and study for a psychology degree. Um, but it's interesting because I feel like the, the work in health and social care across the 10 years that I was doing it and the business that I do now, 
there are similarities in kind of the aims of what I wanted, which was to bring to light social issues. And in a way I do that, it's not in a journalism or reporting way, but actually in some sense, it's on a deeper level in a much more personal and meaningful way with people in frontline service. Yeah, people that are actually going to have to do the do. Absolutely, yeah. So similar, but not exactly the same. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. So psychology was always a big thing for you then from your kind of A-levels. What is it about that that really like got you? Um, I think it's, I think actually in a weird way, it's a lot to do with growing up mixed race. Um, I think when you, when you grow up and you are part of two cultures, particularly when you talk about cultures of black and white, um, you, you kind of move through the world and myself, particularly as a very light skinned, some would call it light pass, a white passing mixed race woman, um, the way that you feel about yourself in terms of your own internal identity versus the way that you're perceived by society is very different a lot of the time. And so it instills in you this, this strange sense of what I call double consciousness. So you move through the world with one internal identity and one consciousness as a mixed race woman, but you hold an an alternative consciousness in terms of how the world perceives you. So it's not the same, how you feel and what people think. It's the internal and the external don't always match. And so I think when you have those two layers of consciousness, it gives you this drive to understand your own behavior, your own thinking, your own feeling, probably on a much deeper level because you consistently feel not torn so much in your thought process, but definitely there are moments of real conflict in there. Disconnected. Absolutely. Like just don't yeah. really line up. Yeah. That's really interesting. So that was kind of, I, I guess, you start thinking about psychology and you're like, oh, yes, I get that. Yes. Oh, I think oh, I like that. That, that yeah. makes sense. That resonates. And I think it's going through that journey of, you know, when you begin to understand the mind in general, it gives you a lot more confidence in terms of then starting to unpack your own and and going through a process of self-reflection and really starting to think about the way that you perceive the world and the things that you think um so it it just gives you a I think a greater sense of self which was something that really attracted me to the study of psychology um and then when I I think when I finished my undergraduate degree and moved back I just really had this sense that I didn't I just didn't, the finance world just wasn't for me. I I wasn't cut out for it. um, And it wasn't ever going to be something that I was going to do career wise. And so then when I moved back to London, um, I decided that I wanted to invest in psychology at a deeper level. I think one of the things that was interesting was that nobody told me when I did my undergraduate that that absolutely was just the beginning. I kind of had this naive assumption that, you know, you do an undergraduate degree and boom, you're a psychologist. And that did not play out the way I thought it was going to. So then I decided to go back and, and kind of further the study in health psychology. Um, and I I think I applied for... So assistant psychology posts are really competitive um, in the UK, but particularly in London. And I'd applied for about 50 wow. assistant psychology vacancies. That's so many. Tenacious. Um and I ended up getting a post working in an addiction service in Hammersmith and Fulham. And I remember walking in on the first day and just it absolutely felt like the place I needed to be, wanted to be. And just I, from that moment, I kind of had this sense of like it's all clicking and it's moving in the right direction. And I fell in love with, you know, with addiction work and, and working with people to to really start thinking about how to move forward and how to... To, to grow and develop in their own lives and, and to become the best possible version of themselves. Um, it was something that I think held quite a personal significance to me because of, you know, some family history 
within our extended family, but also just this sense of, I think I'm always a person that's, that's fought for the underdog. Um, and this real sense of like, you, you want to empower people to see themselves as you see them. And I've always worked with clients and seen them as incredibly resilient, tenacious, you know, strong, powerful human beings that are in the worst of the worst situation, but continue to get up every morning and keep going. And there's something that I think that is incredibly amazing about that, that should be celebrated rather than denigrated in our society. So I think that was, that kind of took me on that journey then down into reducing reoffending and working around mental health and then further into organisational wellbeing. It's really interesting as well, because I imagine that you, you see the impact you're having. Mm. Like actually hands on. Like yes. You do something and it's like, oh, that, that actually helped that person yeah. today because tomorrow it's different for them. And I think part of it is is just that ability to build relationships with people that are characterised by a mutual respect. And it's, it's one of the things that I always say to people about the work that I was doing in addictions. I had a profound amount of respect for the clients that I worked with um, and also was very much a practitioner that I wanted to hear them. I wanted them to tell me what success looked like to them because I think all too often in society when we're working with people, particularly around addiction, which you know we often vilify in a lot of ways in our society, we have this approach of, of kind of finger wagging and telling people what they should be doing. But for me, there was a sense of, Every single person that I work with is an individual in their own right, with a backstory, with passions, you know, with desires and with dreams and with wants for the world and, and for themselves. And if you're not taking the time to listen to that, then you're not actively working with people in the right way. So it gave me this incredible opportunity to really build relationships with clients that, that just blew my mind a lot of the time. Like I met such a variety of different people working in frontline services in London that I think from a psychology perspective, again, it's that ability to start delving into, you know, what people think and feel and why they behave the way they do and what drives that behavior. So it was this real element of being able to put what I'd learned in theory into practice in a really interpersonal way that forged connections with people. And it's like, as you're talking about all of this, I'm thinking, how old were you when you did that job? Uh, 25, 24, 25. So... So I don't think I'd be able to do that job now. So <laughs> I'd, I'd just be like, whoa, what am I doing? Yeah, I remember being... So once some of the work that I did when I worked in reducing reoffending, I used to do um, like prison in-reach work. Mm -hmm. So I would work with... When I was doing reducing reoffending work, it was around addiction, but we would work with clients and we would work with them throughout the duration of, you know, whatever was going on for them. So some of them would be in the community and then if they were arrested and they went to prison, you would work with them in prison prior to their release so that there was that continuity of care and I remember in the place that I worked at the local prison that that we serviced was uh Belmarsh so at 25 I was often found outside the gates of Belmarsh waiting for a gate release collection of a prisoner and kind of thinking oh my god what am I doing but you know surprised myself and I think that in and of itself was this was probably one of the drivers when I started my own business is why I feel so passionate about working with people to start overhauling like limiting assumptions about their capabilities mm. because it's amazing to me actually what you are capable of when you are put in a situation and it is required of you if somebody had said to me a year before doing that job that's what I would be doing I would have laughed them off the face of the earth and been like there's no way that I can do that 
But actually in that moment when you're focused on doing the job that you are there to do, it's incredible what you are able to achieve. You just have to go on with it. Absolutely. Find a way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's really interesting. Did you have any kind of anyone that kind of mentored you or like helped you along the way? Anyone that kind of was a bit of a guide for you in those years? Um, It's an interesting one. I had a lot of so I had in terms of the bosses that I worked under, they were all very different. And I think they all taught me a lot. Some of it positive, some of it not so positive. Um, But I think I made a mental note to kind of just learn from each of them interestingly actually the the biggest piece of advice that resonated with me that didn't really come from the work that I did in psychology I went to a careers fair when I was 17 um and at that time I was still thinking maybe investigative journalism and I was thinking about going to the University of Liverpool and there was a recruiter there and he was talking about you know really what you need to get into this type of work and he was talking about you know you're going to need to sharpen your elbows because you know, you're going to need to be able to kind of push your way through and and be seen and be heard and advocate. And that really stayed with me. And probably not just for myself, but then when I started working in services, it's that ability to also be able to be seen, be heard and advocate for other people that very often aren't seen and heard in our society. Mm -hmm. So I think that stayed with me massively. Um, But in terms of a mentor, like one particular person, not, not so much. I think I've taken lots and lots of little bits from lots of people that I've come in contact with. And actually, I think some of the most profound learning that I've had as an individual has come from the clients that I've worked with rather than the bosses that I've had. Yeah, because you're seeing them yeah. do things. And yeah. Making, oh, yeah. They surprise me and astound me and, you know, empower me all the time. So how did you... So we've gone to uni, we've done psychology. Mm. Come out, realise that it takes more than an undergrad to be a psychologist. <laughs> I like that realisation. Yeah. And then you get into this kind of frontline service for healthcare and you're doing all these things that you're thinking, oh, I don't know, I ended up outside Belmarsh, but I'm doing it. This is a great job and I'm enjoying it. How did you get from that to starting a business like the one you've got now? Do you want to maybe tell people what that business is? Because I'm just assuming that all my listeners, great podcasting, Jackie, know exactly what you do. (laughs) But do you want to kind of give us a little overview of what that is and kind of, I'd just love to know how you got from that, from between those two points. What was the... Um, So... In terms of the business I run now is Mindset Matters UK and um, essentially I run a well-being business and I focus primarily on organisational well-being but I also have a very strong passion for women's wellness Um, so I do a lot of work around women's wellness and then as an aside to the business but something that I'm I'm very invested in is the work around Black Lives Matter um, and equality and social justice in our communities Um, but going from so going from frontline to the business was a bit of a hop. Um, so, <laughs> so I I did the addiction work. I did the reducing reoffending work. I then worked for City and Hackney Mind for a period. So I did a lot of work around mental health, which was incredible. There was a real part of me that felt like if I was, I wasn't, at that point, I wasn't thinking about starting a business, but I had this real sense that in order to understand well-being in the essence of the word you have to really understand it from a very holistic point of view and so I had this really really keen sense that I needed to have experience in lots of different areas so it couldn't just be an addiction and it couldn't just be in reducing reoffending and kind of community wellness I also needed to start thinking about the mental health factor and, and what that looks like and how that impacts on you know people's personal well-being so I worked for City and Hackney Mind um and then I so I did some more work then in, in prisons. I became the lead substance misuse therapist at HMP Lemoy. Um, 
And then I, so then there was the trip to Brazil. I'm just I'm trying to <laughs> like, place, oh, I'm try, yeah, I'm trying to place it all in my head. Um, so I did Brazil and I think when I got back from Brazil, I moved back to London and that was kind of the pivotal moment actually in terms of the formation of the business. I started working for the Royal College of Psychiatrists um, and I basically took everything that I'd learned across health and social care and I started working um, on two accreditation programs called Enabling Environments and Community of Communities. And Enabling Environments was a national accreditation award for any service organization or business that felt that it was truly enabling in what it did. So in terms of putting um, the well-being of staff and clients at the forefront, but also enabling people to thrive. So that was incredible. And then there was community of communities that was about building therapeutic communities. Um, and both of those things had such a strong organizational well-being stance. It was kind of the last piece of the puzzle in a sense. I'd done a lot of stuff around personal well-being. And then it was this incredible opportunity to think about actually when you take it away from the personal and you put it into the organizational what does that look like and how does that impact on individuals as well because Especially when we spend so much time at work absolutely and i think that was a real kind of sense for me of you know you can empower people in their personal well-being but exactly like you said we spend so much of our lives at work that if that environment is not enabling if that environment is not allowing them to thrive and to feel well in what they're doing and to feel productive and innovative then it's going to fall down and so then I um, I moved back to Jersey a little bit on a whim. I was due to take a job in Leeds and the funding fell through. And then Mindset Matters was born. I kind of had this real sensation of going, I'm here. I'm not looking to go back into a nine to five. I've accumulated so much knowledge. And it kind of came off, this is going to sound really strange, but I had been listening to a Joe Rogan podcast um, with David Goggins um, in just he's an incredible man, ex Navy SEAL, ultra marathon runner, like just overachiever. Yeah, absolute overachiever, but just incredible. And speaks a lot around like the importance of mindset and just getting shit done essentially. And I was sitting there listening to it and I was kind of toying around with the idea of starting a business. And then I just thought, I mean, you can just keep toying around with it or you could actually just do it, you know, to paraphrase Nike. Um, <laughs> So I did. This so is not a sponsor. Yeah, no, no. Sorry, Nike. There are all other trainers. Um, so yeah, I did it. And it's it's been a hell of a journey. Um, it's been a massive learning curve, but it's something that I, I feel really passionate about. I think I've I've put in the groundwork and I think that's part of the thing that I'm really proud of with the business, that I took theoretical knowledge from my time at university. I've worked frontline services, you know, I've, I've done my stint in frontline services. I recognize what that looks like, how it works. I've worked with various clients at various stages of life, at various stages of wellness. Um, I've worked with big organizations, big government organizations, big agencies to start thinking about what does organizational well-being look like and how can you get the best out of your staff. And I've kind of pulled it all together in the hopes that what I'm offering is a really well-rounded approach to well-being that really focuses on the psychological aspects of well-being. It's that's why I called the business mindset matters. And uh, you know, well-being is so many different elements, but my belief is that it doesn't start unless you start nurturing your mind first. I think what we do, the thoughts and feelings that we have drive our behaviors and our actions, and so I think if you start there, you get much better results down the line. What about you then? What do you do to keep your kind of well-being in check? Is there anything that you do to kind of keep yourself well? 
so I'm a big proponent of uh, rest, if I'm honest. I, I, a lot, I think probably about when I came out of frontline services, I moved into kind of the organizational well-being aspect of stuff because I realized that I'd hit burnout as a practitioner. Um, it's incredibly draining work. You know, when you're working with people who have a multitude of things going on and you very often are probably one of the only people in their lives that's providing any sense of consistency or direction or normality mm-hmm. um, or compassion or empathy. It's, a, it's an incredible thing, but it takes a lot from you. And I felt like I was becoming burnt out and I felt like I had to step away because I wasn't I wasn't able to maintain the level that I had been practicing at and I didn't want to become a burnt out practitioner that wasn't mm. kind of giving my all. And I think from that point forward, this there was a real sense within me of one of the things that I discuss a lot in terms of the, you know, my business and when I talk about wellness is that we found ourselves in a real hustle and grind culture. Um, and you know, that's really driven by capitalism and this sense of, you know, if you're not working all the hours, God sends, you're never going to be productive. You're never going to be successful. You know, if you're busy equals important. Absolutely. It's, it's that kind of mentality. And that for me isn't, it's not self-serving that I've massively realized over the last couple of years that I have peak moments of productivity. And as long as I'm engaging in something in those peak moments of productivity, I get more done than if I chain myself to a desk for 12 hours a day, willing myself to do something. I'm sure we've all been there. Yeah. You literally stare at a blank screen <laughs> going, and you get to the end of the day on. and you're like, I could have just gone out, had a walk, been to the supermarket, clean my house, done whatever you need to do. Absolutely. Come back and I probably could have done everything I need to do in an hour. Yes. My brain would have been yeah. in the right headspace. Either that or I do the 12 hours, read over whatever it is that I've achieved for the day and think, well, that's nonsense. Mm. That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> that one's in the bin. Start a good try. Yeah, exactly. Let's just get rid of that. So I think for me, um, rest is a huge part of it. And I think that's that's definitely for myself, but also in terms of when I work with people, it's a changing hearts and minds approach that we have kind of fallen down this rabbit hole of hustle and grind mentality and culture. And it's not serving us. And we need to recognize that actually when we are when we're most useful, most productive, most passionate and most purposeful is when we're well rested. Mm. We need to get, you know, rest in some senses as a form of resistance against what is happening around us in terms of, you know, capitalist systems that are driving this consistent need for more and more and more. But it's not fulfilling us. And so part of that is actually using rest as a form of resistance and starting to think about what do I need in this moment? So that's something that's really important to me. Um, Since moving back to Jersey, cliff walking, I just, I've always loved it, but it's something that since I've come back, I've fallen in love with it all over again. So I try and get out on the cliffs with the dog every day. What dog? Just a side note. Oh, I know. So uh, we have a family dog. His name is Sydney. Great name for a dog. Love him. Um, He's an Australian Kelpie and he, yeah, we get out on the cliffs every day. So yeah, it's important. And it's important for me to have that. I'm very much um, a believer that you have to also be able to immerse yourself in nature wherever you can find it. You know, we're not all Mm. lucky enough to be able to get out on the cliffs every day, but in whatever way you can kind of ground yourself in nature, that's something that's really important to me as well. I think it brings me back to myself. So I think it's those things for me that, that probably are the most important. And I also, thanks to David Goggins, kind of keep my well-being in check in a, in a strange sort of way with an accountability mirror, 
Um, what? Right. We need to know what an accountability mirror is. Oh my is. god. So, <laughs> so David Goggins talks about um, having an accountability mirror, and essentially, sometimes with well-being, we we really get in our own way a lot of the time. So a lot of the things that that we're not doing or we're not engaging in or we're not focusing on is because we're either procrastinating or we're kind of standing in our own way. And there are two sides to that. I'm a big believer in a very compassionate, you know, empathetic and nurturing approach to wellness. And on the flip side of that, sometimes you just need to be called on your bullshit. Um, So I have an accountability mirror and essentially it's to hold me accountable for the things that I want to achieve. So some of it is very passionate, you know, kind of empathetic and nurturing and lovely. And it's all of those things. And it's a lot about self-care. And some of it is, you know, post-its that that say things like, you know, don't be effing lazy. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes we need to be. Because, you know, I'm it's I think it's balance. And I think that's what it is for me is that rest is important. But I also know when I when I'm just being lazy, there's a difference between those two things. Yeah, procrastination versus Absolutely. I need some time. Yes, and I think for me, it's it's trying to find the in-between. When I set up the business, it was very much trying to cut through the noise and recognise that we're never going to do it perfectly. There is no such thing as the perfect wellness approach. None of us are perfect. The beauty of what we are is that we're imperfectly perfect beings. And some of that is being able to recognise that we live with a push and pull and it's it's also being able to kind of observe that in a really non-judgmental way and kind of make light of it sometimes and call yourself out and recognize when you are slipping but also recognize when you're doing too much and you really do need a period of rest to turn off your phone and not engage with anybody and give yourself the time to just do you especially when you're starting a business like I started a business last year at the end of last year and it's strange isn't it I don't know if you feel the same but when you're employed the motivation comes from, well, I've got to be there at nine yes. and my boss is going to ask me for this and I've got people relying on me and there's a client. When you start a business, that motivation has to come from you. Yes. You're the, you're the, you know, the driving force, the fire's with you, no one else. Yeah. And there is an element of like, you feel like you have to keep that burning all the time. <laughs> and then you have that moment where you're lying on the sofa in your pajamas thinking I can't even get up because I just, my brain's so overwhelmed and then you have to keep it burning all the time and you just swing. Well, I did for a little while. Swung yeah. between like 20 hour days to can't even make it downstairs to the post box because I've just overwhelmed myself. Yes. And just back and forth and then you think, oh God, this is no way to do things. It's very confusing. I think it was interesting actually because obviously the business is is mindset matters and I'm always reminded just in random moments in my life of actually how how powerful the kind of business name is, but also how much it resonates in so many different areas of life. And I think one of the things when I started the business, the irony was this transition from employee mindset to business owner mindset. And those were two vastly different things that I really had to wrap my head around quite quickly. Like you said, that motivation wasn't coming from, I need to be there at nine and I clock out at five and I get a monthly paycheck. There was a different motivation to it. And that required a different mindset. And it was kind of almost, it was nice in a way, because it was like, right, you're starting a business. So if if you are not fundamentally able to do this for yourself right now, you might not want to call the business Mindset Matters. <laughs> but it's a good way to uh, put a... Keeps me in check. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a definite incentive. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> it is. And I think it keeps me in check in the acknowledgement that, that that's a journey, mm. that, that, mi- that anything to do with mindset, whether you're talking about a transition from an employee mindset to a, to a business owner mindset, whether you're talking from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, it's a journey. 
And you don't, you don't wake up one day and go, right, I'm a business owner and look at me, I've got all the intrinsic motivation and I'm doing it all. It doesn't happen. No, it really doesn't. <laughs> I wish it did, but it really Some doesn't. Some like, please, give please, me a little give bit me of find, Let me find something here. But yeah, and I think it's that. I think it's the element of the journey. And that's the biggest thing for me is trying to get people to acknowledge that there is, there's nothing in this world that requires a shift in behaviour change that is, that's linear. And no matter what area I've worked in, I have never worked with somebody that has had kind of a very linear A to B journey, like woke up in the morning and gone, right, I want to do this. And they've done it. And that was the end of the story. It just, it never happens like that. Mm. The reality is, is that there are hurdles and stumbling blocks. And some days you'll feel like you're flying and some days you'll feel like you're crawling. Some days it will feel like it's all being torn down. And some days it will feel like you're building it up bigger than before. And it's that element of kind of being able to just roll with it. It's one of the biggest things that I had to learn. And also that I think I instill in the work that I do, that you, you we've got to be kind enough to ourselves to just roll with it. And yeah, you're so right. I was just thinking, Cece, who was on last week's episode, was saying you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm. And it's so true, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's true. Yeah. You've got you've got to have enough for you. Yeah. Otherwise you can't you can't be there for everyone else. It's it's exactly that. And I think it's it's one of the most profound things that that we probably realise but don't enact enough. Um and I think particularly that's where in some senses that passion for for women's wellness comes from. That's particularly poignant, I think, as a woman. Um, I like wanting to help. Absolutely. Yeah. There was a recent study in 2017 around the state of women's wellness. And it said that three quarters of women are likely to put themselves last rather than first within their families, within their communities, in workplaces. And I think it's in some senses, it's, it's that kind of the strength of females to consistently be able to lift everybody up, you know, on their shoulders and and make sure everybody's thriving. But that comes at a cost of exactly like we were saying, that you then can't pour from an empty vessel. And so part of the work that I do with women's wellness is really starting that conversation about, but what do you want and what do you need and what's going to work for you right now? Because too often we're not asking ourselves those questions enough in society. There's an expectation of kind of, and I think sometimes it's it's where wellness has become a buzzword, but mm. also it's become something that people um, can switch off from because it, it seems like sometimes it's, it's just yet another must-have that you don't have. You know, it's green smoothies, it's post-yoga sweats, you know, some nice, you know, post-yoga shine and this, that and the other and gym pants and, you know, all of that breathing exercise, meditation, mindfulness, bike, you know, bike riding. It's everything that people think, oh my God. Especially during like a pandemic, right? If I have to see one more thing about like, you should be productive and making banana bread and redecorating your house. And why aren't you exercising? You must lose weight. You must maintain weight. If you've gained weight, you need to be thinking about it. And you're like, oh, goodness. Yeah, it's it's all too much, I think, sometimes. Mm. And I think it's where wellness, it kind of lost its way. Um, I think we took something that I believe is quite simplistic in the sense that you want to empower people to change their thinking in order to change the way that they feel about themselves, the way that they behave, the way that they move their body, the way that they nurture their body. And we've kind of just commodified it to such an extent that it's it's everything but that. Well, it's marketing for products. Absolutely <laughs> it is. And I think, interestingly, I think that was, it was one of the reasons actually that I, I kind of went to, I, I kind of went down the route of thinking about starting my own business and particularly within the wellness sphere. Um, 
because I went through this period of, of kind of going, right, I, I, I need to get fit. Um, and I, you know, I want to invest in my wellness in the absolute buzzword of wellness. And I was drinking so many green smoothies. I was convinced I was going to wake up looking like the Hulk one day. It was ridiculous. I was taking so many like multivitamins and supplements and I was going to the gym and I was kind of doing everything that they say that you should be doing to find wellness. And I was, I mean, I'd lost a lot of weight and people kept telling me, you look incredible. You look really good. You look amazing. I felt terrible. Absolutely awful. I've never felt worse because none of that was dealing with what was going on inside my head. So from a physical perspective, I was trying to kind of find this element of control in a situation that felt like it was out of control or I didn't have control in in where I was going or what I was doing or what I wanted. And rather than dealing with it from a psychological perspective and a mindset perspective, I kind of went down this faux wellness route and thought, well, I'll just I'll do all of this stuff that they say is going to bring me everything that I need for success and happiness. And it, and it didn't. And I think part of it is that we we also have to be careful about, you know, when we say wellness, what do we mean by that? Because I think it's easy for people to switch off when when I talk about running a well-being business. Sometimes I I do see people's eyes glaze over like, oh, God, she's one of those. And it, I think part of that is a re-education for people about around what do I mean when I say wellness? Um, because don't get me wrong, it's not to say that those things don't have a place for people. Some people absolutely get on board with it and it's great. And I think that that it's great when you are doing it in a really holistic way, when you're not just taking one part of it and extracting it from everything else and expecting that to be the perfect answer. It's got to be about that balance. And what about relationships? Because obviously the thing I love talking about is like the connections we have with people and mm. all that kind of stuff. How do you think that... Well, I guess for you, do your relationships, whether that's with friends or family, does that play a big part into kind of how well you feel? Definitely, definitely. I, I'm a huge family person, um, and I think that comes from having quite a small family unit over here. Um, and we're a very tight family unit, so it's it's massively played a role in kind of my own sense of like happiness and well-being. But at, fundamentally, wellness the one of the most pivotal parts of well-being for human beings is social connection Mm. and I say this to people often when I talk about wellness that when we think about as I was saying before about this kind of commodification of wellness and and this real sense of like this buzzword wellness one of the things that is really unhelpful about that element of it is that it's very very singular it's all about I. So I'm going to drink the drink, the green juices. I'm going to go to yoga. I'm going to get fit. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Wellness really at the heart of it for me is social justice. Because actually when we are well, our communities are well. Mm. So if you're not engaging in wellness, that's also uplifting your communities and forging social connections. It's not wellness. Well, Corona taught us a lot about that, though, didn't it? Like isolation, yeah. being alone, being Huge. separated from families, and yeah. then suddenly everyone's going, well, I don't feel yeah. good. I don't feel too great There's now that I've been alone for days. Yes. But even if you're not alone, even if it's like you and your partner, or you yeah. and your partner and your kids, or whatever... The fact that it's only that and there's nothing mm-hmm. else, because everyone has different networks, right? Yeah. You've got friends, you've got family, yeah. you might have work colleagues, like everyone's got a different mix of what that means to them. Yeah. 
But when you can't have that, you feel it, right? I think massively. And I think definitely coronavirus and, and kind of lockdown in and of itself really brought that to the fore for a lot of people. And I think there was this recognition of that of that message that social connection is fundamentally important for our sense of wellness, but also that wellness is social connection, that we have to start using those things interchangeably. And when we're thinking about wellness as a form of social justice, as a form of kind of social progression, that's lovely that you yourself are going off and doing all of these things and you're going to a spa and you feel really well rested and that's really lovely. But what are you doing with it after that? Mm. Because if you're not taking that energy and that feeling of being well rested and using it to uplift other people or your community, your, the society around you, then actually that that's not really wellness in, in the grander sense of the word. And I think that's what we need to get to. For me, when I think about well-being you know, racial identity is in there as well. That forms a massive part of my well-being. How I feel about my identity as a mixed race woman has a profound impact on how I feel in myself Especially and my own wellness. Absolutely. And I think part of that is, you know, when I say that it's kind of the business but not the business, it is. It's well-being. You know, the nature of, of what we're doing at the moment in terms of the movement and in terms of this kind of move for more equality and more justice is is essentially about giving people the opportunity to live a full, authentic, happy, equal, equal life. You know, it sounds in some senses so simplistic, it's absurd, but it's absolutely necessary and it it's not happening. <laughs> so I think... From that aspect, you are talking about wellness. You're talking about giving people the opportunity to thrive, mm. to give people that opportunity. And to, everyone that opportunity. Absolutely, regardless. an equal opportunity for wellness. And, you know, when we think about just the ability to be able to live and live fully, that's essentially an issue of wellness. And so I think it, it ties into the business in a really nice way, but maybe in a way that I didn't think that it always would, but they've come together really nicely for me. And how do you, like, keep track of all of that? So, like, I know that's a lot of... I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, sounds great, it's mm, a lot of stuff. Mm. So how do you, like, keep your eye on the prize, like, you know, keep focused and make sure that you're moving in the right direction? Is there anything you do that helps you with that? So I never used to be, um, like, a diary person. I had this, like, almost, like, this fear of diaries <laughs> this was before, clearly before I started the business actually kind of a couple of months into starting the business I hated this sense of having my time scheduled and dominated it was just this weird thing for me where I was like I want to be free to make decisions maybe it's the nomadic nature of who I am um, and then when the business started taking off there was this sudden realization of like no you need to know where you're at and what you're doing and what's coming next so I think for me it's been this process of kind of everything that's happening goes into the online calendar because if it's not in there to me it doesn't, it doesn't exist, exist I, <laughs> I am exactly the, the online calendar is life now so it, it kind of all goes in there um and I think in some ways it's it's also just that element of I think part of it for me is that when you're when you're doing things that resonate that bring a passion and bring a purpose to yourself but also to the community around you and the people that you serve you kind of can't forget everything that's on your radar. Like I never forget what's going on for me because I'm so heavily invested and passionate about all of the things that I'm doing at the moment that they all take precedence and they all take centre stage in my thought process when I'm thinking about structuring my days and my weeks. That's good though, isn't it? That's a good place to be. It's incredible. It's, it's, it's a place that I didn't 
I didn't think I would get to as quickly with the business. Um, but actually, in a lot of ways, I feel so grateful to be here, to kind of be tipping my toe in lots of different areas that all mean something to me and kind of comes back to the point that I made earlier that whilst probably from an outside perspective, you think, oh my God, you're doing so much in different areas. They are all connected. Everything that I'm doing has a connection to everything else. And so essentially what I'm trying to do is to bring it all together so that people begin to see wellness as this, this holistic thing that has to be, you know, you've got to think about employment and health and you know race and identity and you know your mindset and what you're eating and how you nurture your body and it's all of those things and I think humans are multifaceted yeah you'd like to think so wouldn't you but yeah so I think it's getting to that and giving people that opportunity to really start thinking about the broader picture starting from a mindset approach thinking about the way that they that they think taking it from there and then beginning to see the connections between everything else and I guess you're doing it for yourself as well. So that's a... Yeah, that helps. <laughs> <laughs> Always helps when you're doing it for yourself too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, it's been so lovely talking to you. It's been lovely. Before we wrap up, how can people find out more about what you do, find you? So you can find me. So I have a website, which is um, www.mindsetmatters.uk. Um, and you can also find me on Instagram at mindset underscore matters underscore UK. Fantastic. And I'll put them in the show notes as well so that everyone can find them. Fabulous. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. You can tune in every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher for the next free episode. And why not subscribe so you don't miss out? If you like it, then don't forget to leave us a five-star review because they really do help. And head over to Instagram at ink underscore block underscore creative to carry on the conversation. Thanks so much for listening and don't forget to stay connected. Mm -hmm.